Thank you for joining us for today's podcast on Saints and Society. My name is Rick Reeves and I'm here with my co-host Brad Leibolt. Today we're going to be discussing and looking at who is Karl Marx and what is Marxism. We know this is something that is coming up so much in society that people are talking about, they have questions about, people are asking, can you be a Christian Marxist? Can a Christian support Marxism? And so we want to tackle this subject today and we want to do that with grace and truth, supporting our claims by scripture. And so we hope this is helpful for you and equipping you to get a better understanding of who Karl Marx is and what Marxism is. This is Saints in Society, a podcast with an aim and focus on equipping saints to live in and engage with their society. With help from experts and through diving into the word, we seek to learn how to engage culture in its terms, but not of it. We believe the gospel speaks to all areas of life and provides the answers we are looking for. So we aim to equip saints with applying the gospel to our lives, living as saints in society. Hey Brad, what is your favorite romantic comedy? Mm, My favorite romantic comedy. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of romantic comedies. Give me some like popular ones. Just go with it. Sweet Adam Home, Sandler? yeah, and Sweet Home Alabama, The Notebook, The Proposal. I could keep going. Yeah, guess who? Um, uh, is P.S. I Love You? Is that with Gerard Butler? He's the Irish guy, uh, and he dies, but he wrote all these letters to. Oh, I don't know. Well, I just kind of ruined it. Okay. No, you know that he dies from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a big rom com watcher. But it seems like you know a lot. So what's your favorite? Uh, I would narrow it down. A Walk to Remember. Okay. And I can't remember the name of the singer who plays Manny Moore. A Walk to Remember or Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama. Matthew McConaughey? No. Oh. Yeah. I don't know the actor's name. The the, the female actress is Reese Witherspoon. Uh, She grows up in the country. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't like her country life. Moves to the city. Yep. But she's still married, literally, to her former life and husband. Hmm. Yeah. I also like uh, Love Actually. Okay. There you go. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. All right. On that happy note. We're going to dive in today, and this has been a long time coming. We're going to talk about Karl Marx and about Marxism. This is something that's come up within our church family. This is something that's come up a ton in society. We've heard, it seems like, especially over the past couple of years, we've heard so much about Karl Marx and about Marxism. But in the 20th and 21st century, we're hearing more and more. This name keeps coming up. Who is this guy? What is Marxism? What is the ideology? What are the beliefs? All of this good stuff. I even emailed one seminary professor and asked him, can a Christian be a Marxist? Because you have people now identifying themselves as Christian Marxists. Hmm. And so... What did he say? Or will you get to that? We we, we won't get to that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And the truth is, is because he never responded. And then he wrote back and said, I'm so sorry, I space responded to this email. And I was like, so what are your thoughts? And then he never responded again. So I was like, okay. Cool. So, so I thought the best place to start, because oftentimes whenever we talk about Marxism, we, we immediately jump to communism or we jump to the ideology of what Marxism is. We jump to critical race theory and that sort of stuff. I thought the best place to start talking about Marxism is with the person of Karl Marx. And so this t- today what we're going to aim to do is we're going to try to talk about who Karl Marx was and what Karl Marx believed, what Karl Marx put forward and essentially the ideology of Marxism. Yeah. And so I'm going to cover who Karl Marx was and you're going to cover 
the ideology of Marxism. Sure. Yep. So I, I want to say this before we jump in and go through this. Our goal is not just simply to bash someone because scripture says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the evil one, against the enemy. And so what we do want to recognize is that the enemy puts evil thoughts and evil ideologies into the minds of people that already have a broken and sinful heart. Mm -hmm. And I believe the Marxist ideology is just that. I think it's wicked. I think it's sinful. I think it's evil and I think it should be exposed for that. And so that's what we want to do is we want to expose the ideology for what it is. But we also want to start first with Karl Marx. I heard a apologist once say that if you can't win a debate, then attack someone's character or their education. And I agree with that. Here's what I'm going to say. You agree that you should do that or you agree that that's what people do? I agree that's what people okay. do whenever they can't win a <laughs> yeah. debate or can't win on the grounds of logic, then you have to start attacking someone's character. You mm -hmm. have to start attacking their education, that yep. they watch romantic comedies, you name it, yeah. stuff like mm -hmm. that. But what we do need to recognize is this, is if I put forth a whole manifesto on domestic violence and how it's sinful and wrong, and you guys find out that I beat my wife, I would say that whole thing is brought into question and mm -hmm. jeopardy, and I don't know who would take it serious. Right. And so Aristotle had three points when, whenever he talked about the art of persuasion. He had logos, ethos, and pathos. And so what he would say is that we have to have a solid logos, like our material needs to be grounded, it needs to be good, but then our ethos, which is our character, needs to be consistent with our logos. Otherwise, again, when you stand up, to share about the logos and whatever you want to communicate. If people know that your life is lived out inconsistent from what you're saying, then no one's going to take you serious. Mm -hmm. And I, what we want to do today is look at the life of Karl Marx because his life and ideology don't match up. Mm. And so that's where we're going to go. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. So let me share with our listeners a little bit about Karl Marx and why maybe you don't hear as much of this stuff about Karl Marx, but also why the New York Times and why people are now writing books about Karl Marx and why he's being exposed because a lot of the stuff is actually now coming to surface because he's been so worshipped mm -hmm. and so idolized and people are adopting Marxism and, and think, oh, Mar Karl Marx is such a great guy. So here's a little bit about him. Karl Marx was a German philosopher. He was born in Germany and he spent most of his life really pursuing education and squandering his parents' wealth. And so he never really created any capital for himself. He spent his parents' wealth. And in fact, the times that he would actually contact his parents were to borrow money from parents. And so his own parents said that they wished that he would have spent less time talking about capital and talking about money and actually creating some mm -hmm. for himself. His wife said the very same thing. In December, 1837, his dad wrote and said this, you have caused your parents much vexation and little or no joy. A few months later, at the age of 56, Karl Marx's dad died, and he didn't even attend his own father's funeral. So he was good enough to, his dad was good enough for him to foot his bills, but not good enough for him to uh, attend his funeral. So then Karl started looking to his mom for handouts and basically drained his mom's savings account. Though he, he was a married man, he was still looking for his, to his parents, which is a lot of what we see today with young men. <laughs> looking to his parents for handouts to support the lifestyle that he wanted to live. So some of you guys could say, great, that's not that big of a deal. Well, let's keep moving forward. His wife's name was Jenny. They had a hard time managing the household. And so they brought in a woman named Helen 
and Helen became their housemaid. But she was the housemaid of Karl Marx's wife's parents before that. So, so Karl Marx's wife is named Jenny Marx. Her parents had a housemaid. Her name is Helen. She comes to live with the Marx family. Karl never pays her a dime. So you could call her a housemaid or you could call her slave because he exploited her. Then he gets her pregnant. So she has a boy named Freddie. Carl wants to cover it up. The New York, the New York Times actually did a whole article on this. So mm. that you can read about this. Mm. And, and, and if you're concerned this is two conservatives talking about this, then read about it from a liberal source. Mm-hmm. Because he had a son whose name was Freddie. Freddie, and so that they could cover up what Carl did, they sent him a, a, away to London to go live with, you know, like a middle-class family. By the way, Freddie died at 78 and never knew that Karl Marx was his father. So Karl never took care of him. I mean, he had no means to. He was borrowing money from his parents, but also he was borrowing money from his best friend, Frederick Ingalls, who he wrote the Communist Manifesto with. He doesn't provide for this woman and he doesn't provide for his own son. In fact, Frederick Ingalls claimed that he was the father just to cover up for all this for Karl. And then on his deathbed, he admitted that it was actually Carl's son. And then Carl's daughter found out about it. And then a few years later committed suicide. She was shocked. Mm. And so here's, a, here's an example of a guy who doesn't pay a woman for her work. He, he's exploiting women, mm-hmm. though he cares about the, the oppressed, has a son and doesn't, that, that child grew up poor, uneducated, uh, had to work a difficult job and struggled his whole life, never receiving support when he did get to go back and visit his mom helen he had to come into the back door of the house the servant's door and could only enter into the kitchen so they could still keep this whole thing covered up this is the man who again who people are celebrating as some hero in our society which is why even some people that were former communists and who were marxists and who believed in marxism and supported it are now saying we can't because we've actually looked at the life of Karl Marx and it's atrocious. It's mm-hmm. like, we just can't get behind this guy. We can't stand for the things that he did. So that's just a few things. When his mom died, he inherited roughly $6,000, which part of the communist manifesto is that you shouldn't get an inheritance. Right. So he puts that to shame. He, he would go, at, at one point he went 20 years without seeing her. And the reason he came to see her was to ask her for money. His wife became so frustrated with him because he would not provide for his family And in fact, when his own wife, Jenny, died, he did not attend his wife's funeral (laughs) because he had other things to do. So because of this, they ended up living in a boarding house. Uh, One of their kids died during the winter. I mean, it's just an example of a man who's not providing for his family, not taking care of of his family. And you see the just mess that his family was in. Mm -hmm. But some of the other things. First, well, I'll say this. So much of the far left has adopted Marxism uh, in, in an attempt to be anti-racist and stuff. Karl Marx, what's being exposed, and, and there's actually a book written by a man. I'll have to circle back and get the name of the book. I looked it up. I think I showed you. I was like, well, I'd like to purchase it and buy it, but it's a $150 book. <laughs> so yeah, apparently that man has become a capitalist. So, yeah. <laughs> But his whole book is titled Karl Marx, a Racist. He made constantly anti-Semitic jo- uh, jokes and, and comments about Jewish people. He called black people gorillas and he and Frederick through their correspondence back and forth would refer to black people as the N-word. And so here's this guy elevated and highlighted who BLM supports and, and organizations like Antifa. Yet here's a man who was racist and made racist comments. In fact, if you remember this, this is just a little bit of 
U.S. history, but when you uh, when the U.S. annexed California in the Mexican-American War, there's a whole thing going on between California, and Texas, and whatnot. This is what Karl Marx said. He said, "Without violence, nothing is ever accomplished in history." He wrote this: "Is it misfortune that magnificent California was seized from the lazy Mexicans who did not know what to do with it?" Yeah, there's our boy Karl Marx showing his true colors. He also said this about the Jewish people. He said. They could only become an emancipated ethnicity or culture when they no longer exist. So essentially, he had views on them like Hitler did. He said, the classes and the races too weak to master the new conditions of life must give way. So genocide of the week, genocide of the week. I mean, this is just a snapshot with just a few minutes. We're starting to see and expose. He, he also professed and claimed that he had a big heart for the oppressed and the proletariat class and he never spent time with them. He despised them. I mean, his own son, his own biological son existed in that class and he did nothing to help his son. Neither did Frederick Ingalls, who owned an actual factory and hardly ever spent time there. He hardly paid his uh, laborers like good wages or anything like that. So you have these men who are professing to do all this good stuff in society. And in all reality, you look at their life and their life is inconsistent with that which they profess. So that's just about Karl Marx, but maybe you can start to dive in a little bit about Marxism and, well, and, and the ideology. Yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll get to this in a second, but one of the like foundational elements of Marxism and the Marxist ideology is that there's an oppressive class mm -hmm. that is evil and then oppressed class that is good. And if the oppressed class can, in a sense, rise to power, then the problems of society will be solved. And so it is saying that there is enough good in humanity to right the wrongs in society. And yet his own life proves that there, <laughs> that maybe humans aren't as good as, mm -hmm. as he, as the ideology suggests. And so I would say we're not sitting here comparing ourselves to Karl Marx saying we're somehow better or any less sinful. I'd say rather look at the wickedness of the human heart, mm -hmm. which ours is no different out, apart from Christ and look at what humans are capable of. And then when you put the the burden of righting the wrongs of society in the hands of wicked, broken humans, you're only going to get more wrongs in society. Mm -hmm. and, and that like his own life is just a snapshot of, of how yeah. that plays out. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Karl Marx's ideology known as Marxism is a socioeconomic ideology that was opposed to capitalism. And so it arose out of kind of the industrial revolution as factory owners had all these workers in their factories. They got paid next to nothing. The factory owners made all the money. And so you have this capitalistic society expanding and growing and you have a poor working class and then you have a higher class of which he broke into the, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Mm -hmm. Bourgeoisie, rich factory owners, proletariat, the poor factory workers. And so the way Karl Marx viewed history was that it was it was a history of uh, struggles between classes. And so his his whole goal and aim was to obliterate or abolish any kind of distinction between classes. There should be no rich and poor, just everyone on the same level playing field. And so kind of the utopia that he dreamed of in a completely Marxist society, there would be no money, there would be no class, everyone would be on the same level playing field where goods and and resources are, are distributed equally among all people 
So in opposition to capitalism, where production is privatized and you can own property, you can own businesses, you can sell products uh, and increase and gain wealth, that's not the case. Things are owned by the government. It's a collective resources that are distributed equally to all people. So that, that was the the very bare bones of his ideology, of the Marxist ideology. Now, Marxism is kind of the bedrock for what we know as communism and then also socialism. Communism is a complete like totalitarian takeover where the government owns all things. There's no private property. There's no private enterprises. Everything is owned and distributed by government. Socialism is kind of like how you it's the middle ground from when you're moving from a capitalist society to a communist society. Socialism is the middle ground where there's still some private enterprises, but then you're starting to move more towards where things are owned mm-hmm. by the government and distributed by the government. So that's how those things break down. We can look throughout history and see experiments in Marxism that have failed miserably. Um, there have been places around the world throughout history that have attempted Marxist ideology attempted to adopt that and the results have been deadly and catastrophic. And so you have the Soviet Union, USSR, with Lenin and then Stalin, where this uh, socialistic Marxist ideology uh, started to win the day and the result was tens of million people. 20 million. Yeah, being murdered, which are losing their lives, which if, I mean, the minute you start counting deaths in the tens of millions it's like point has been made mm-hmm. experiment failed um not to mention joseph stalin was one of the like richest guys yeah and and and, and he explicitly states that he is influenced by karl marx so yeah. here's this man karl marx with his ideology who's influencing a man like joseph stalin who also essentially lives an upper class life who has mm-hmm. lots of money and then his ideology leads to 20 million deaths yeah so that's that's one example, one uh, experiment in this Marxist ideology. The other one is uh, Mao in China, which again, the result was even more. I think it was a hundred million. I mean, it's it's up there. Mm-hmm. The people who died under the Mao regime, a communist Marxist regime in China. Uh, we could go on and on and look at places around the world, currently and throughout history, where Marxist ideology has been the the socioeconomic theory that they try to operate on and the result is a group of very wealthy people in charge that got that way and have all the power and all the wealth at the expense of literally tens of millions of lives and so so it's a power struggle it is it's a power struggle and you, you mentioned marx's quote on like nothing will get anywhere with violence i mean that's the marxist ideology was revolution right it's the proletariat class needs to revolt and have a, a violent revolution to overthrow the bourgeoisie, and so you're going to end up with bloodshed if if this is if this is the case. Maybe like rioting and looting, lighting businesses on fire. One one might say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> so there's a few. I think as we think through this issue as Christians, there's a few things that I think would be that, that I would point out in this. Any ideology, any worldview, any system of thought about how the world works is has to answer at least these two questions. What is the problem? And then what is the solution to the problem? Anyone can look out into the world and say, there is a problem. I think that's the image of God in us. And if we can, if we can, if we can give 
Mark's credit for anything, it's that he identified a problem, <laughs> which mm. I think is is part of the image of God in us saying things are not as they should be. Mm -hmm. There is something broken. Now, how do we identify that problem? It makes all the difference in the world, right? If you misdiagnose a medical problem, then what you end up prescribing medication-wise or surgery-wise could be catastrophic, right? Mm -hmm. So you, the, the diagnosis of the problem has to be accurate in order for the solution to actually bring yeah. about healing, right? And so the problem put forward by Marx is that there's these two classes. The, the problem is the class structure, that there's the oppressed and the oppressor. And so the the problem per se is not has nothing to do necessarily with the individual, but with a system, a system of capitalism that oppresses people and doesn't pay them and, and doesn't doesn't allow them to flourish as as they should. Which again, we can maybe say, yeah, a, a, oppression is bad and people should be treated with honor and dignity. But then when you when you say that the problem is with a system, then the solution has to be a new system. And his new system was eliminating classes altogether and the oppressed rising to power, which then you, like you said, you just have this power struggle where the assumption is, is that the oppressed people are morally, are inherently morally good. And so when they're in power and when they're in control, things will be better. Yeah. So poor people aren't bad. Right. If we can get them to a spot of power, they will rule and govern in a way that's so much better. Yeah. But then there's always going to be a group that's underneath them. Mm-hmm. And now you have a new oppressed class. So now we need to bring that this new oppressed class up from their oppression and bring them yeah. into it. So, so it's cyclical and it never stops. It never stops. And it misses, like I said, it misses the fundamental problem, which we would say, according to scripture, is the human heart. Yeah. Uh, the human heart is wicked from birth and is set to do evil. And so until the human heart is addressed, whatever human you have in power and in control is going to do evil things. And and they're... they're their rule. We're, we're so prone to greed. We're so prone to narcissism. We're so prone to horrible, evil things for our own selfish good that anyone you put in power is going to succumb to the, the, the temptation of greed and, and mm -hmm. all of those things. And so until you address the human heart, you're never going to actually solve any problems. Which is nice because if you can say that the only problem out in the world is with systems in place, then you never have to take Not ownership. Yeah for yourself, for your own sin and the way that you contribute to that. And then if, if you think about how it doesn't make sense. So we say that there's systemic racism. And so what we need to over, what we need to do is overthrow systems. But then you have people that don't have regenerate hearts, new hearts, hearts that have been claimed by Christ creating new systems. What you're going to have again is broken systems <laughs> created by broken people like Karl Marx. Yeah. And so again, it's not going after the heart. What, what Pharaoh needed was a new heart. Mm-hmm. Of course, we could go after all of this and all of the oppression, and I think Christians should stand against that and stand for justice. But if you're focusing all your energy on systematic problems, systems, and just recreating those, then you're missing the biggest problem, the yeah. human heart. Yeah. And I think, I think we can look at the life and ministry of Jesus and see how he goes about that. I mean, Jesus lived in a time where there was a rich upper class, a poor lower class of slaves. And there was this racism between Greek and Jew and Samaritan. You have all this kind of societal, structural, systemic, these issues, right? And Jesus interacted with all of them on mm -hmm. a personal, individual, one-on-one -on -one basis. And you know what he said to each and every one, no matter what group they were a part of, it was all about their heart. It was, I forgive you of your sins mm -hmm. or, you know, like the, 
to the rich person, it was it, it, your heart. It, it's about your heart. Uh, to the poor person, it's about your heart. And he never, he never tells the lame, the sick, the downtrodden in society, "I'll forgive you your sins now. Go revolt and mm-hmm. and go go to a place of prominence in society where and hate the upper class." Yeah, uh, and he never says to the the rich and powerful to give up their positions of power per se. So you don't see Jesus walking around ancient Jerusalem trying to overthrow corrupt political systems and social systems. Well, you see him walking around as proclaiming the kingdom of God, a, a, a society, a place, a future where there will be no oppression, not because of a different political system, but because the people in that kingdom's hearts have been transformed by the gospel. And there was plenty, plenty that could have been overthrown, broken systems, I mean, we talked about that in our abortion podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, there is so much that that Jesus could have went after. And then Philip, when he went into Samaria, like there's so much that he could have said and he could have addressed all systems that are broken and stuff like that. But they went forward proclaiming the gospel because they understood first and foremost, what people need is a new heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you can deliver people from oppression and maybe you 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 liberate them from oppression and you bring them into, uh, you know, into a better monetary position in life. Mm-hmm. If they don't know Jesus and they don't know God, they die separated from the only hope yeah. that they have for eternity. Yeah. And so you you spend all of your effort doing the secondary cause, which is why when the paralytic was lowered to the roof, you know, everyone's like, heal him, heal him. And Jesus is like, I forgive you. Yeah. And they're like, what? Like, who is this guy that says he has the power? But, yeah. but this guy was lowered to healing. But Jesus is like, no, you have an ultimate need. Your ultimate need is that, yes, your legs don't work, your body doesn't work, but ultimately your heart needs healing. And so he, so he took care of that. And then he took care of the other mm-hmm. stuff. And so, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I, think, I think another thing to point out in this that I think is important for us as Christians to recognize is part of the Marxist ideology is this assumption that if we don't have to work for a living then people will just kind of all together contribute to the the common good mm-hmm. if we have all of our basic <laughs> needs provided for we will we will care so much about the needs of those around us that we will contribute something to society uh and so it's it's like a devaluing of work and i think even uh part of what marx himself was so adamant about is people just enjoying life and not feeling like they have to be tied down to this job just to make a living they should have their basic needs met and provided for yeah. so that they could uh, be free to enjoy life and study. Which he was and, able to do because his parents actually had a job. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And and I think at the core of this is a, a poor view of work, theologically speaking. Yeah. Yep. Um, Marxism views work as bad when it's not the case. God gave Adam and Eve work to do before the fall. Now, work has been tarnished and has been made difficult and painful because of sin, but work existed before sin. And so work as a means of of worship work as a means of 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 uh, doing things unto the lord and for his glory work at, it, we're we're created to work and so to say that work in and of itself is this bad thing that we need to in, avoid to enjoy and have a full life i think is counter to yeah, that's good. to um uh, how we see work in scripture and how what god gives us so I think we can back up to what you said is that we need to ask what is the problem and what is the solution. 
And so taking a look at that, I think with any ideology in life is a helpful, those are helpful questions to ask. What's the problem? And then what's being presented as the solution? And again, we see Marx's solution come out. You said male, but we can look at Paul Pot, who led the Khmer Rouge and, and uh, which took out one, I think one fifth of Cambodia. Hmm. Uh, President Mengistu, who led the Red Terror in the 70s, led to, I think it was a million deaths and closed down churches and stuff like that. So it's like this ideology has led in a century alone to around 100 million deaths. Yeah. So what this actually leads to, if people adopt it, is not actually what the Christian message is. You know, here, here's a couple more quotes from Karl Marx, which mm-hmm. I think are just like, man, to destroy Christianity, he said, we must first destroy the British Empire. So he wants to destroy it. He said, the first requisite for happiness in this life is the abolition of religion. Then he said this, with disdain, I will throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant. L- listen to this. Then I will wander godlike and victorious to the ruins of the world. And giving my words as an act of force, I will feel equal to the creator. Hmm. It's like, this man was an atheist. <laughs> he had an... <laughs> Uh, an ideology driven from his views on God and from atheism, but he has a message that is completely inconsistent with the message of the Bible. He says, overthrow your enemies with violence. And Jesus says, forgive your enemies and pray for them. Mm -hmm. The word of God calls us to outdo one another in honor, to think higher of others than ourselves. And so this is why the Roman empire did not know what to do with Christianity because it blended socioeconomic classes. It blended people groups together. It did what Karl Marx thought his ideology would do mm-hmm. and bring some sort of utopia. Christianity does that because it operates out of a system of grace. Yeah. Like I don't get to look across the other table and say, I've arrived here by some means or something I've done. I'm only here sitting around the table of Christ and a part of his kingdom and his family because of his grace. I don't get to say, I've taken better care of society. I've cared more about social justice. I've done this. I haven't done this. I've, I've been mistreated because I'm poor or I'm better off because I'm rich. Everybody arrives in the kingdom of God by one way only. And that is by grace alone, mm-hmm. through faith alone and Christ alone. And so instead of turning to some wicked ideology from a man whose life was inconsistent with even his own ideology, why don't people turn to Christ and see the beauty and the glory of what Christianity was able to do and what it actually produced? forgiveness, love, grace, mercy, Mm -hmm. compassion, caring for the orphans and widows. Jesus actually spent time with the oppressed. He spent time with the rich. And yeah, I believe an ideology like this can only create division, disunity, hatred. And we're seeing so much of that in our society today. So I think the point to all that is we don't need to adopt this ideology. I believe we need to reject it. I think we need to put Christianity in Christ forward. Yeah and show how this actually brings forward mm-hmm. what our greatest need is. Mm-hmm. Christ overthrew the greatest oppressor, sin and Satan. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would say this as well, uh, capitalism isn't a savior either. It's I mean, true. It, it's, another, it's another ideology that personally, I think <laughs> creates a better society than Marxism or communism would. Um, I'm very thankful to live in a capitalist society with the freedoms and opportunities that that we have. To have a conversation like this and not be worried about who's going to hear it or find out about it. That's nice. Yeah. That's a blessing. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so uh, while I think it's a, a better socioeconomic ideology than Marxism, it's still not our savior and it still presents problems as well. Mm-hmm. The the greed and power that comes with capitalism, sure, like that's a that's an issue. That's mm-hmm. a problem. The competitiveness and the 
the win at all costs kind of thing. That has no place in the church or in the kingdom of God either. But I don't think the solution to the problems of capitalism is Marxism or some other kind of socioeconomic ideology. I think the solution, like we've already said, is the gospel changing people's hearts. And so then when you have people whose hearts are transformed within a system, within within a structure, within some kind of um, institution, uh, that's when you start seeing some actual real change. So yeah, I would, I would encourage our listeners, anytime you're presented with any kind of ideology, worldview, even if you have a problem going on and someone presents you know, some kind of advice to you, what's the problem mm-hmm. that's been identified? And then what's the solution that's being suggested? And if they get the problem wrong, the solution will always be wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think those are those are good questions to ask. And I think it's a question that really almost stops Marxism before it even begins because the the diagnosis of the problem in society is all wrong. Yeah. Isn't it also interesting that it's such a Western idea that the way that we think that we are going to revolutionize the world and make things better is giving people more monetary means. Yeah. Like that in itself is like a Western thought. Totally. It's like, oh yeah, people's lives are hard. So what they need is more money, more wealth, more of this. Yeah. And it's like true happiness is found once the world can have, you know, nicer cars or houses and all these things. I mean, that is a Western thought. Yeah. When, when in all reality, the cosmic question that needs to be asked, what's the greatest problem in the world? Man has been separated from God. What mm-hmm. is the greatest solution? Christ is the only one yeah. that stepped in to intervene the greatest problem that we have. Yeah, so totally. I think I think this is a really important and helpful discussion because like you said earlier on, Marxism and Karl Marx are being celebrated as le- legitimate options for the way that our society should go. And it's heightened right now with just political... Uh, warfare i mean just with with the state of of where we are at here in the united states of america marxism has like arisen as this solution to and i think the solution to the the problems we're seeing and i think it's really important for us as christians to be aware of this to Mm -hmm. be aware of the competing worldviews that are out there to be aware of their holes and flaws and to be grounded and steadfast in the truth and so we didn't do this episode just to poke fun and cancel and, Karl Marx yeah, and cancel Karl Marx. And you mentioned something about this. So I'll jump in and say right now is that we don't want our listeners to pick fights. We mm-hmm. don't want to create division in families. We don't want to, to arm you to win debates. Yeah. We want people to love people well. And I think one of the best things that Christians can do is not cancel people because yeah. <laughs> grace oh, yeah. doesn't allow for that. And, and so I think you're hearing so much of that in the church. It's like, well, let's cancel this guy or cancel this person or cancel this person because now they're adopting this or adopting this. It's like men and women are created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. How do we lovingly engage people? I, I think we should lovingly with humility expose lies, yeah. bring forth truth, but not in such a way that cancels people or is creating divisions or hostility. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we want we want saints to be equipped to discuss this because of how much it can come up in our society. Um, and we want saints to have a clear, if you're going to ask the question, what's the problem? What's the solution of this particular worldview and ideology? We need to have our answers ready for what we see the problem and the solution is according to scripture and what is true. So that's good. Uh, thanks for joining us on this episode. As always, if you have any questions or, um, thoughts, uh, you can email us the email to respond to is in the show notes. So, uh, thanks for, thanks for being with us and we'll catch you next time. Bye.